You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Hey, well, good morning, Northway Church. It's a gift to be with you. We're continuing our series on the Psalms, Summer in the Psalms, these 10 weeks as we're looking at different uh, portions from that book of Scripture. And last week, Shay Sumlin kind of gave us an intro through Psalm 1. And this week, we're going to take a look at one of the major themes of the Psalms through Psalm 88. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 88, use your device, get to Psalm 88. And we're going to look at that uh, this morning together. I'm just excited to, to be with you. So as you turn to Psalm 88, I want to ask you to do something, whether you're, you're by yourself or you're with a group of people, I would just love you to pause this video for a minute, um, read Psalm 88 together, uh, read Psalm 88 if you're by yourself, um, feel the weight of this Psalm, and then after you read that aloud, um, we'll jump back in uh, to the sermon. Okay, so if, if you read Psalm 88, here's probably what you're feeling. Like you're feeling this idea of, man, I, I haven't, I haven't heard a psalm like this necessarily, or I didn't even know if this psalm was was in the scriptures. Psalm 88 is is not a popular song. It's been called the saddest song in all the scriptures. It, it the very last word is darkness. Like it might make you hum a Simon or Garfunkel song. It might make you think Frozen 2 and Hello Darkness. But you're probably not going to have this feeling of if we did a greatest hits on the Psalms that like we would include this Psalm in here. It's not a Psalm you'd be inclined to pray or a Psalm that you might have heard others pray very often. In fact, it's not only unpopular, it's kind of uncomfortable. We reread this aloud in our teaching team a couple weeks ago. Go. And there was this feeling of a little bit of uncomfortableness of like cut the tension, someone tell a joke, I want it to be over. And, and we were just, we were wrestling, like walking through that Psalm together. And I, and I think if, if I'm honest, it probably spoke more to me and more to us than to the actual Psalm itself. But and it's a, it's a little uncomfortable if we were honest. In fact, if you heard someone praying that, or if you prayed it, like you'd probably be inclined to go like rebuke them and be like, are you okay? Like, have you set your mind on God? Like, are, are you doing okay right now? Is everything okay in your heart? And there's something that kind of sets uncomfortably in us, but not just unpopular and uncomfortable. It's, here's the crazy thing. Here's the like hold the phone moment. Like it, it really is an inspired song. Like this, is from the word of God to us. And so it, then it begins to like bring this gap between us of why is there this distance between um, what God has spoken through his word and like how I feel in my everyday prayer life and how I approach God. Here's what we know about the Psalms. We know that the Psalms are this invitation for us to bring all of us to all of God. Like Shay said last week, the Psalms have been this prayer book for the people of God for the last couple thousand of years where that has shaped the way they feel and think and pray and approach God. It was Eugene Peterson that said, man, if Christians want to learn how to pray, they just need to pick up their Bible and turn to the Psalms and begin to read those uh, songs aloud to the Lord. But again, there, there's this gap between us and them. And, and the reason we're leaning in on this series is we just think there hasn't been a better moment culturally, um, globally, um, here locally in Dallas for us to lean in and grow and bringing all of us to all of God. And so we'll see different things in the next couple of weeks. We'll see bringing our fears to God and bringing our doubts to God and bringing our need for rest to God. And, and particularly this week in Psalm 88, it's this idea of what do you do in the dark and difficult days, like bringing the dark and difficult days before God and trusting that he hears and he knows and he sees. And so two quick things before we jump on more. I think one, just personal confession. 
if I'm honest, like this isn't always where I have been. And like this has been a wrestle in my life. Honestly, I, I think we did a, a staff survey and we were trying to figure out like who was the most emo on staff. And clearly like Brady and Matt won that, but they were kind to let me jump in and preach today. So I'm just grateful for them doing that. But um, in all seriousness, about, about 10 years ago, um, I'm at DTS and one of our um, dear family members is put in a mental hospital and I, uh, a disease that attacked my kidneys is coming back. And I'm told I'm going on chemo and have to cancel all the trips I was going on with our school. And then Caitlin and I are having difficulty in our relationship and it's not moving forward like we thought. And it was one of those moments where up to that point, I'd gone through difficulty. I'd walked through the divorce of my parents and um, I had walked through some relationship tension and some health things. But by the grace of God, like he had always just given me this joy, like this joy had been full. But there came this moment where, as those things hit, like I'm reading my Bible, I'm confessing my sins as far as I know to like my friends. And, but I just couldn't pull myself out. Like I couldn't get out of that brokenness. And I'm reading this book at the time by John Piper. And he's talking about these moments where the darkness doesn't lift. And it's like this watershed moment for me where he says, man, there, joy is something that you fight for, but joy is also a gift from God. And up to that moment, like I had always looked at people that couldn't get out of the darkness. And I had, and I had thought like, man, if they would just like fight and like go a little more, maybe they could do it. But I was wrong. I didn't know that there were these moments because I hadn't experienced it personally where sometimes you just can't pull yourself out. So I might not have been inclined to, to lean into something like this. And then secondly, like I just think I, I was, I was so self-focused that I didn't have this lens for what about those around me? And I couldn't even see how, how difficulty and dark days had crept into my own life in a way maybe I didn't know how to understand. And so we jump into this psalm and man, I really am so excited to lean in together this morning with you. And and as you read it, you probably saw there are these cycles, like the psalmist cries out to God in one and two, and then uh, honestly, and then begins to bring the reality of that cry to him, to verse nine. And he cries out specifically to God in verse nine, and then begins to bring the reality of that cry up until verse 13. And then he cries out 13 through 15 directly to God's name, and then brings the reality of that cry. There's these cycles, but here's what we know about grief and difficulty. If you were to listen on to an honest prayer, like there's not this like easily outlined ability. So I just want to give us three themes to walk us through this time as we just think about how do we deal with dark and difficult days? One, reality. Two, honesty. And then last, intimacy. Reality, honesty, and intimacy. First, we see reality. Just look at the, the title here. It just says, I cry out day and night before you. It's a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to the Meleheth, a maskal of Heman the Ezraite. And so uh, first, we just are reminded of the complexity of darkness under the reality that there's a complexity towards it. Um, here's the deal. Heman was the leader of the sons of Korah. Like he led the charge in their songs, but this isn't the only Psalm that they have as a couple examples that they were the ones that wrote Psalm 84. So like better is one day in your courts. How lovely is your dwelling place? Oh Lord. Uh, the sons of Korah were the ones that wrote uh, Psalm 87. They talk about all of our fountains. God, all of our life is in you. They were the ones who wrote Psalm 46. And so whether you're a believer or not, or you're part of church or not, you probably have heard that at some funeral or difficult days. Um, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The mountains give way. Like there's a city whose 
streams make glad, like the people of God, this idea of God being a refuge and strength. So they've written those songs. And then there's this turn. So it's, it's like you have this, this favorite actor that like has played these scenes of like comedy. And all of a sudden he's taking this dark role or this, this band that's had a certain type of genre. And all of a sudden it's like minor chords all of a sudden. So they've taken this turn. And that's encouraging for me because it reminds me, you can't paint this guy's life in one brushstroke. That like a season of difficulty and darkness or a few days of difficulty and darkness don't paint his whole life. There's been other songs. There's been other seasons that he's been a part of. And that's encouraging to me. There's a complexity to the darkness that we can't just label him with this one song. But secondly, there's a, there's a complexity too um, to how difficulty and darkness comes to our life. I'm reminded of that because he doesn't, the psalmist doesn't share the exact thing. Now he shares a myriad of things throughout this psalm and we'll look at it here in a second, but Heman doesn't share the exact complexity of the difficulty. And we know from the scriptures that there are all sorts of things that contribute to the, the difficulty and darkness that we might walk with. Um, the scriptures give an account of like extremely difficult circumstances and even being sinned against being that. That's the life of Joseph. And that is Hannah when she's mocked by her husband's other wife, whole different story there. And that that's the story of David at times being chased by Saul and hiding in a cave. Like there's these difficult circumstances that can bring on darkness. The, the scriptures give an account of sin bringing on darkness in our life. Shay, we'll get here in a couple of weeks, but that's Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 is a couple examples where David, his bones are like wasting away as he's holding onto the sin that he doesn't confess. And so the scriptures give an account of our personal sin. The scriptures also give an account for like satanic attack and like spiritual warfare. I think of the thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about. He actually calls it a messenger of Satan. And the scriptures also give an account just for the physicality of our bodies, that our physical state affects our emotional and spiritual state. So I think of times like where Paul tells Timothy, go drink some wine. Or I think about Elijah when the angel shows it to Elijah and he needs some rest and he needs some food and he also needs some spiritual encouragement. It's been said before, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is like, just take a nap. And so point being, there's this, this complexity when it comes to why darkness enters our life. And scriptures give accounts of, of physical realities and spiritual realities and emotional realities, like, like coming together in such a way um, that as we speak to one another's hearts. And so there's this complexity under the reality of the darkness. But then we begin to see that this psalm gives an account for just darkness itself that begins to increase. Look at verse one and two. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. So listen to him. He's saying, I'm crying out day and night. So the days are long. And in verse 15, he says, I've been doing this since my youth. So it's this idea of like long years and long days. Like he's crying out to God. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Well, like I've been, and this is, I've been saying the same thing to my, my accountability or my group of people for the last three years, four years. Like I keep doing it a decade. Like I keep crying out to God and it doesn't seem to be going away. And then he begins to show us how, man, he has increased, like the difficulty has increased. Look at verse three, my soul is full of troubles. Then verse three and verse four, I'm, I'm drawing near to shield, to like the pit, to the place that no one returns. And look at verses five and six. He says, God, I'm like those who you don't remember anymore. And then God, I've been cut off from your hand. 
And then look at uh, six again, particularly, he says, I am in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Verse seven, your wrath lies heavily upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. In other words, it's like I'm, I'm a small child at the ocean. I'm just getting hit and hit and knocked down again and again by circumstance after circumstance after circumstance. And then verse eight, not only has God abandoned me, not only is circumstance after circumstance, but I, God, it feels like all my companions have shown me I'm a horror to them. I'm a shut-in. Like I, I'm on, I'm on self-quarantine. Like I, I can't escape. Not because someone's told me to do that, because I can't get away from these things. And there's nowhere else where I feel like I can go. I feel boxed in by this difficulty and darkness. My eyes grow weary with sorrow. He, he's giving this reality of how it increases and gets worse and worse and worse. And it's getting more difficult and more darker, and 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 continues to go. Here's the crazy thing about this psalm. It goes all the way to the end because it's going to end on this idea of darkness. And that's how our psalm ends today. And he's, he's giving this account of not only suffering that's complex, not only suffering that increases, but he's giving an account of suffering at times that is unrelieved. And I don't think we have a lot of account for that. Like, I think most of us are used to bows on the story. I've heard it said by some people, that's some of the reasons why they don't feel like at times there's good Christian fiction, because there's always bows on every story. It's, it's some of the reasons why some of us at times come into the gathering of the people of God, and we can't relate because we feel like that there's not being account for the difficulty and grief that we're walking through. Um, I'll never forget, um, a few years ago, there was an interview with Rick and Kay Warren, um, pastor and his wife in California, and they had tragically lost their son about four or five years before this interview. And, and I, I'll never forget them saying, and when we talk to people, they keep being shocked that we're still grieving. Like they keep saying things like, it's been a year, like, why are you still grieving? It's been three years, like, why are you still grieving? Like, why isn't it put together? And, and they were just in grief sharing this reality. It's almost like no one has an account for it. At sometimes there's things that you wrestle with and, and, and you come up upon that you will take on this side of eternity to the grave as you're waiting for the day. That, that God brings redemption to our bodies and redemption to all things and makes everything new. They just felt like there, there wasn't an account for that. And that is where this Psalm brings us to the scripture's call to wait, to this call to wait upon God, to be those that, that um, hold onto the promises of God and hold onto the character of God and continue to wait in the dark and difficult days. Ray Ortland has this blog called Trusting God When It's Not Easy, and it has been like ballast for my soul. He says this about the word wait. He says there's this connection with that word to a German word that means to twist. And he says when he thinks about waiting, he thinks about this idea of twisting, like trusting on God, waiting on God. Like it's this twisting uncomfortable, difficult time, and listen to this quote and be encouraged. He says, you may be bewildered. You may be gasping or frightened. That doesn't mean you're not trusting God. Isn't that a relief? In fact, it actually might mean that you are trusting God because faith is itself this wrestle and this wrestle with doubt at times. And I just love that. And that brings us to our next point. Like if it's this wrestle and if it's raw at times, we begin to see that in light of the reality of difficulty and darkness, the psalm, the psalmist just brings an honesty to God. He brings honesty. In other words, he's bringing every aspect to God continually and constantly to God in prayer. Look again with me at verses one and two. He just says, look, he's coming to God. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. 
So when it comes to this idea of what do we do with sorrows and what do we do with pain, like culturally, a lot of times you'll hear, hear messages like this, like just stuff it, like don't express that out, stuff it, like, like keep it to yourself. And, and that's what we hear one way or the other of just suppress it down. But other messages we hear at times are like substituted or sidetrack it, however you want to say it. In other words, you're going to go somewhere with your sorrows. We'll, we'll drink them away, um, eat them away, binge watch shows away, guilty of that, um, you know, relationships, like use something to numb and dull the pain, substitute it, sidetrack it. And then other times we hear the message of not suppress it, not sidetrack it, but we hear the message of, man, just suck it up. Like get through it again. It's been how many years now? Like, are you really going to bring that again to our group? Like seriously? And it's this idea of just suck it up. But instead the scriptures are going to say, not those options. The scriptures are going to say, no, share it with God. Like in God, you have a divine sounding board. Come before God and pour out your heart before him. Bring your complaint before him. Tell it all. And this is what the scriptures have called lament. Uh, Soon Chan Ra in his book, Prophetic Lament, says this. He says, lament is simply feeling or expressing sorrow or grief. It's honesty before God and honesty before each other. It's just honestly bringing all of who you are to God. And then he, he's kind of reminding us, man, there is this disconnect between us and the everyday life of the church. He looked at hymnals, and this is just kind of crazy, and where the Psalms are 40% lament. Um, he said, like, if you look at a Baptist hymnal, it's about 13% lament. Look at a Presbyterian hymnal, it's about 19% lament. And then in 2017, if you look at like the top 100 Christian songs, less than five of them are lament. And so the point isn't like, go look at your Spotify list and like make sure every third song is lament. Like that's not the point. Yes, we need creativity and like shaping what we listen to and how we lead one another to sing. But the point is this reflection on our own heart and our own state that we talk at times about like analyzing the culture, but remembering that we're part of the culture too. And like, like how, how are we living in the line with how the Psalms call us to bring ourselves to God versus how we might be told or shaped by others to bring ourselves to God. This lament is this idea of simply just recognizing that's not the way it's supposed to be. It starts there and everyone could do that, whether believe in a God or don't believe in God. Like we could go around in a circle and talk about, let's talk about how this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. And where lament turns from the Christian is you take all of those things and you honestly bring them to God. Instead of running from him, you bring them to him. Instead of going around him to deal with him, you go to God with the complaint and brokenness and pain and difficulty. This is Psalm 10, why Lord, covenant name of God. Psalm 12, help Lord. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? This is Jesus in John 11 at the grave of Lazarus. He's deeply moved in the spirit and he's weeping, but they're hot tears because he's frustrated at death and the one who rules over death and he's coming to do something about it. It's this idea of bringing all of us to all of God. And so be encouraged like, because this psalmist, he, he really is bringing all of himself. So it's not just like, well, I don't feel that depth of darkness. Look at all the things he's bringing. He's bringing all sorts of what's. Verse three, he's bringing troubles. Anyone have troubles? Um, verse four, he's feeling like he's in the pit. Ever felt like that? Verse four as well, he feels like he has no strength. He's bringing that to God. Verse five, he feels like God doesn't remember him. He's cut off. Have you ever felt like that? He's bringing that to God. <clears throat> In verse six, he feels like life is dark and deep and it's one thing after another, one wave after another. Do you ever feel like you can't catch a break? He's bringing that to God. He feels like his companions and friends have shunned him. Have you ever felt like that? Well, he's bringing that to God. And on and on and on we can go. There's all sorts of what's, but there's one singular who. He keeps bringing it 
to God. He even calls God by his covenant-keeping name. He calls him the Lord, Yahweh, God of my salvation. I cry out day and night before you one time, before you in verse two another time, before you a third time in verse 13, to you, God, in verse 9, to you, God, in verse 13 again, and then upon you, God, I cry out in verse 9. He keeps, that's just so encouraging to me. He like doesn't stop. He keeps bringing these things before the Lord. Now, I just want a gritty faith like that. I want a faith where I keep coming to God and, and, and I don't buy the lie of the enemy to go somewhere else or God doesn't want to hear anymore, but I keep bringing all of these things to my Father who hears and cares and, and really does sustain Spurgeon said this, I love it. Another way to say it, he says, his distress has not blown out the sparks of his prayer. Do you love that? His distress has not blown out the sparks of his prayer. There's still a fire there and it's still being blown on by the spirit of God. It's not, story isn't finished here. And it's just how he brings them. We've said this, but he keeps bringing them. We're talking about this a lot, but I think it's just worth saying, we're not, we're not advocating irreverence before God. We're not advocating, um, calling into question the character of God. We're just advocating honesty before God. This is what we see, all of him to all of God. So my family and I have we've been reading a little bit of Pilgrim's Progress, kids version, hello. And so that means that we have two children. Judah is almost three. And that means Judah is listening about 5% and just like shouting out random words like prison, you know, words that probably don't make sense to him. And then it means Maya, which is amazing. She's like 80% in. And then Caitlin's there most of the time with me. And we're, um, we're just trying to read through it and talk about it a little bit. And there's, there's this famous part in the story where Christian, um, who's this picture of us following Jesus on his walk, there's a narrow path, this picture of, of the path leading uh, towards the kingdom God has for us. And he veers off the path and he meets this giant named Despair and the giant beats him and locks him in a castle called Doubt. And so here the picture, Christian veers off the path, gets beaten by Despair and locked up in Doubt. And he's with his friend. And so he and his friend are locked up. And there's this weird moment in the story. So we're like, seriously, two nights ago, we're reading this. We're reading it to Maya at night, like probably a, a parent fail. And so reading the story and like the giant goes to, to his wife and like debriefs his day. And the wife's like, huh, they're still alive. Well, tomorrow go take them and show them the bones of the prisoners and then beat them again. It's like this awkward moment. We're like, should we keep reading this right now? Like Maya, good night. Like let's close in prayer. And so like that happens. And then the next day happens. And then the, he, he debriefs the day again with the wife. And she's like, huh, they're still alive. Okay. They're, they haven't kicked. Okay. They're, they're, they're like still holding on to hope. Well, today show them the chains and show them they can't get out and then beat them again. This is weird moment. Literally this happens. Hope is the other friend. Hope says to Christian, maybe we should call out to God and pray. They pray. Christian remembers he has a key called promise, kicks up the key, unlocks the cage. They leave the castle and it's over. And it literally is like, let's pray for Maya. We're the worst parents in the world. So Kate and I are like debriefing and, and we realize the, the wife's name is diffidence. What does that mean? We look it up. It means shyness and reticence. And we're just like, not wise enough to get what John Bunyan is getting at there. We're like, I don't know what to do with that. Then we remember, I mean, I think we heard something Ben Stewart talked about where he like talked about that story in a good way. Let's go look at it. And like, so he was helpful to us. He's unpacking it. And here's what he says about Bunyan's story. This is amazing. He says like the wife's name, shyness, reticence. Like Bunyan is writing this in his 12 years of prison, his quarantine, hello, to show us our shyness and reticence to go to the Lord in prayer 
keeps us beaten up by despair and locked up in doubt. Our shyness and lack of courage to bring everything to God keeps us beaten up by despair and locked up in doubt. In other words, this idea of like, bring it all, no shyness, no resistance, like bring it all to your father. He wants to hear it. There's a few years ago where I was meeting with um, a counselor named David and I'm, I'm bringing these things to him. I'm pouring out my heart to him. And he says, what you do, lament. Well, let's bring this to God. Let's bring it to God. And so I pray and we finish and I'm feeling so much better. Counseling session's over, check for me, hello. And he looks at me and says, hey, Jonathan, why don't you try praying again and actually be honest to God this time? Because everything you shared to me was like this large. And then when it came to God, you polished it up and got really pretty. But there was this like hesitancy in you, like God can't take those things. And he said, let's, let's do that again. Let's run that back and pray again. Those just reminder for me, like, why, why is there this shyness and reticence and hesitancy in me? Like, I don't think that God really wants his sons and daughters to treat him like a divine sounding board who loves them and bring all of themselves to them and to like pour out their soul and let him bring perspective and his truth to our life. So not just this reality, not just this honesty, but lastly, we just see this intimacy. He ends crying out, essentially saying this in verse 18, you caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Literally last word in the Hebrew, darkness. My only friend, darkness. And so you're thinking like intimacy, really? Like how'd you proof text that into here? Like it doesn't feel super intimate. This lament really is turned on its head where most laments start out with cry, complain, and then you're just looking for this hinge, this but, or yet, I will hope in the Lord. The Lord's steadfast love will carry me. Uh, we don't have time. You really should go. We'll give more resources and do more study on lament. But this one doesn't do that. This one is flipped on its head. It starts with the most brightest part is, oh, Lord God of my salvation, and it ends with darkness. So what do we do with that? Some people, so uncomfortable, have been like, man, poor He-Man, like he must have like died as he's like trying to pin this psalm on his way out, you know? Uh, he just couldn't complain it. Like it, it shows how the tension again of like, could there really be a psalm like this? But it's Derek Kidner, again, who's helpful. And here's what he says. You might have heard this quote. Just hear it afresh with me. He says, God knows how we pray when we're desperate. God knows how his people pray when they're desperate. That's so encouraging. Here's what, here's what that means. That means that, that this psalm like becomes words we don't have words. It becomes this, this person and, and our history and lineage praying when we don't think anyone else can re relate to what we're praying. It means that, that he knows and it's this reminder that others know too that there's a, been a long haul of faith that have prayed prayers like this. And you need to go research the story of William Copper. It'll, it'll give breath and life to your soul or what Dr. Tony Evans has been walking through these last couple of years with the passing of his wife and how he showed this exemplary faith of, and even been really honest saying, I'm wrestling with God and I'm bringing these things to God. They're just these heroes of the faith. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata too, just that would say about her story that she, she broke her neck at the age of 17 and like compa compa uh, catapulted her into these restless nights of wanting to like break her own neck on the pillow so that she might not live anymore. And this moment came where she cried out to God and said, God, if, if you're not going to, if you're not going to let me die, then show me how to live. And God began to bring people in her life to stand beside her, a guy named Steve who taught theology and her sister who would wheel her wheelchair up to the Bible and put like a, a pen in her mouth where she could flip the scriptures. And she said, the most comforting thing was to know that God himself knows too, that God understands. And we, we see this in this Psalm. 
In fact, what's been really fun learned this week that Psalm 22, um, this, this song that Jesus would have, uh, he quoted from the cross and people would have seen him like alluding to, 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 to this song on the cross. Psalm 22 was paired with Psalm 88 historically through the church at Good Friday because these things can't be pulled apart. That to speak of our darkness is to speak of his darkness. Just, um, think about how we see the one who knows with me in this Psalm. Psalm 88, one, it starts like this. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. Well, Psalm 22, one through two, listen to this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, I find no rest. Psalm 88, he says, you don't remember anymore. I'm cut off for your care. There was one that satisfied that. Isaiah 53, eight, he was considered cut off from the land of the living. Jesus stricken for the transgression of my people. In 88 and six through eight, he says, I've been brought to the lowest part of the pit. God, I, I, I feel your wrath. All my friends are gone. I'm despised. I'm a shut-in. I'm a horror to people. Well, there was one who felt that. Isaiah 53, three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. And then Matthew 26, three times, Jesus is praying. He's saying, God, let this cup of wrath pass. Let this pass, but not my will, your will. And then every time after he prays it, he goes and checks on his friends and they're asleep. He says, can't you, can't you just stay awake in, in my darkest moment? Like, can't you just stay awake with me for a minute? The beauty of Jesus Christ. Psalm 88, the psalmist has said, man, I just feel closed in and surrounded like water all day on every side, tears all around me. There was one who came and identified with that. Um, I, Psalm 22, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan, they surround me. They open wide their mouths like ravening and roaring lions. Dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And just lastly, he ends in 18, you have distanced loved ones and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. Psalm 22, one, again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 45, but from noon for three hours until the death of Jesus, there was darkness. Here's what we need to hear, that Jesus didn't just come and dwell with those who had dark and difficult days. He came as one who would live in the darkest and most difficult days so that we wouldn't have to. In other words, like this Psalm might end with darkness, but you and I's story doesn't have to end in darkness. Like this story might, might, might kind of like parenthetically stop here, but it doesn't have to stop here for us. May we, may we see the beauty of Jesus. There's some of us, I believe that like we're on the fringe and we feel like we can't go anymore. And I just want to, just want to speak to you and, and just beg that you would see the hope that's in Jesus Christ for you. And you would reach out and grasp and know that hope isn't lost. Um, that, that, that your God, not only um, knows the reality of your darkness, not only calls you to bring it honestly to him, but he is intimately walking with you and, and, and is just showing a road and path of hope. And there's some of you that listen and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons you've been so jaded at times by the church is you just haven't felt like there's a place to like really bring your brokenness and difficulty, like that, that darkness that Christians account for darkness that's unrelieved, that Christians really account that you can do something with it. And, and that maybe there would actually be someone that could understand and speak into it. I just want um, to implore you um, because of the beauty of Jesus Christ and just the truth of this text, that as something is stirring and resonating with you, there is a God who knows and a God who understands and sees you. And then just believer in Christ, um, many of you, um, this is your story, and some of you it's not, but you have or are 
or will walking through people. This is where they are. And may you come alongside them, uh, pointing to the reality um, that the scriptures account for with darkness, but also the call to honestly bring it to God and to find intimacy in one who walked it and knew. And in closing, um, in uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series, the third book is called The Horse and His Boy. And uh, one of the main characters, Shasta, is towards the end of the book. He's been abandoned, uh, essentially kidnapped at a young age, um, dealt really harshly by, uh, by the man that lives with him, and then just shunned and has a lot of wounds, uh, chased by lions, chased by fears all throughout the book. And now here he is by himself on this path to Narnia in the pitchest dark of the night. And he hears something approaching him and he hears breathing. It's the first time he will actually know that it's Aslan with him in his journey. And Aslan, this picture, this Christ character figure comes alongside him and simply starts with this to Shasta. He says, tell me your sorrows. And then Aslan begins to show him how every point of darkness and difficulty along his journey that he has been there and he has been present. And then what Shasta doesn't know in this darkest night is that he's walking along the precipice of a cliff, that he's almost about to fall off the cliff. But Aslan is walking right beside Shasta so that he can't fall off while he's saying, here's how I've been at work in your life. Tell me your sorrows. And it's this beautiful picture of the God that we have. Just my prayer for you, church, that you see um, that our God knows and understands. He knows the reality. He's called us to tell us our sorrows, to tell him our sorrows and bring them to, a, to him honestly and to see that he's with us. He knows he's intimately, he came to do something about the darkness. My prayer um, as I prepared this week for you has just been Micah 7, 7 through 8, that you'd be able to say like he did, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So don't rejoice over me, my enemy. Because though I've fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord, he will be my light. Let me just pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Um, thank you um, for the beauty that we have in Jesus. I just pray that um, you would bring great encouragement to your people. And where my words fall short in a 35 or so minute sermon, I just pray that you would give them such an eagerness to dive into your word and explore and even sing and to take communion to be reminded of, of you, a God for them and with them, that you're holding on to us and sustaining us when we might not be able to hold on to you and sustain our own ability. We love you. Pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.